0: This morning, we get to hear a word from Christy Dahlien. It is Dahlien. Chris, Christy's not new to us, and it's not even her first time preaching for us in this congregation, but it is her first time preaching as our seminary intern, as our ministry intern this year, and so just really delighted, Christy, to have you on the pastoral team this year and to be your church community as you continue to step into and listen for God's call, On your life. Thank you for bringing us the word this morning. May God bless the words of your mouth and the meditations of all our hearts. Amen. As our country was on the brink of declaring war in Iraq, my family joined others from our church to drive to San Francisco. We slept on the floor of a friend's house woke up early, and headed out to join the thousands protesting the Iraq War. This day is one of those memories that has stuck with me. I remember being amazed by the many gathered. The signs, the chanting, the power of being with so many others, pleading for peace, declaring that war is not the answer, more violence is not the solution. I remember distinctly knowing that we were there because this is what it meant to be Christians, to live out our faith. What's distinct about this memory is that it was a clear war we were protesting. The whole country was in the midst of debating whether or not we should go to war. Whereas today, we live in an age of endless war, both abroad and in our very own country. There are no longer times when the nation is in debate about whether or not we should go to war. Now we simply seem to be in perpetual war, not to mention the gun violence in our own country, the shootings that simply continue. When Samuel told me just two weeks ago about the shooting in Thousand Oaks, California, I felt a wave of numbness, another one, 13 lives lost. And just this week, Jamel Robertson, a black security guard, was shot by a white police officer as Jamel sought to stop a bar shooting. How do we respond? These days feel so distant from the peace marches protesting the Iraq war or when the clear response was to be conscientious objectors and do voluntary service rather than joining the military. Now there are so many issues, so many areas of violence, which begs the question, what does it mean to be Christians in an age of perpetual war, to be people who believe that because there is a God of love and that we are each beloved, that peace is possible? What does it mean to be a people who acknowledge and name that there is no peace without justice and no justice without peace, that the two go together? What does it mean in this day to be a people who believe that just peace is possible and believe that part of our faith is calling us to long for, to pray for, and live for just peace? as we stay each Sunday lighting our peace lamp together. It was with the heaviness of these questions that I began to ponder the beloved verses we heard this morning. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. These are powerful and provoking verses as Mennonites, as pacifists, these verses are foundational. It's what we long for when we march in the streets, when we sew banners stating Mennonites for peace, when we talk to our youth about being conscientious objectors, and as we wrestle together the ways we have been and are complicit in systems of violence through our tax money that funds the US military, to the clothes and products we consume, to the ways we are benefiting from racist and oppressive structures. These verses fuel us in the work of witnessing and confessing. I've always loved these verses in Isaiah 2. When I read them, I feel a stirring within, a sense of wanting to go and do to go to a mountaintop and yell them so all may hear, Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And yet, as I read those lines again, feelings of hopelessness rose in me, especially after reading chapters 36 and 37 of Isaiah that we heard so nicely read this morning. In these fairly confusing chapters of many names and political roles, we're essentially hearing a story of a political circus, of one big empire taunting a smaller one that it has just violently conquered. The vision, the aspiration of the swords to plowshares comes first in Isaiah. But then we get to these chapters of violence, war, and nations arguing with nations. The king of Assyria is threatening the king of Judah. Assyria has just conquered Judah and is basically taunting the people, saying, do you really think your god will save you? None of the other nations we've conquered have been saved by their god. Why do you think you'll be any different? Essentially, the messengers from the king of Assyria is giving a propaganda speech aimed at the rank and file of Jerusalem's defenders. The king of Judah, Hezekiah, sends his staff to ask the prophet Isaiah what to do. Then the prophet Isaiah responds, essentially saying, don't worry, the king of Assyria will hear a rumor, return to his land, and eventually be killed. The dialogue in these chapters feel parallel to aspects of our world today. Except that instead of identifying with the smaller kingdom of Judah, we live in the larger empire with a bully as our leader. And we are part of the powerful empire that conquers others and taunts them with our, politi- our military power. So there's a juxtaposition here between the story of the people of Judah being conquered and taunted, and then the vision we hear of Isaiah in the beginning, in chapter 2, of nations not lifting up sword against another nation. So what do we do with the prophet's words that come before this political circus and conquering? And how do we read them from our position of living in a country that looks a whole lot more like Syria than Judah? I believe these words were aspirational and still are aspirational. And they are also a foundation where we can put our hope in. Where we can center our longing for peace. The notion of taking weapons of destruction and turning them into tools that bring life is a radical notion. But how do we think of these radical verses for our lives today? As I approach the end of my sermon, I still don't have a clear answer to the questions I posed at the beginning. What does it mean to be Christians in an age of perpetual war? to be a people who state every Sunday that we believe just peace is possible and believe part of our faith calls us to long for, to pray for, and live for just peace. But there are three areas I do feel certain of. First, I know I want to stay engaged and not become numb. Secondly, there is something to glean from the creativity in these verses. And lastly, that I need church I need you all in this work. So the first, I do know I want to stay engaged. I don't want to become numb and overwhelmed by the barrage of news, and I don't want to stop trying. I want to continue to hold to what I believe is central to our faith, to work, pray, and long for justice and peace. A few months ago, I found a Gandhi quote, and I wrote it down to keep reminding myself of it. He said, quote, almost anything you will do will seem insignificant, but it is very important that you do it. I appreciate the reminder to continue, even when it feels daunting or feels we're making no difference or no change. Though I do want to name that Sabbath is important and we do need to withdraw and rest We can't sustain ourselves if we don't take care of our whole beings. And we need to step back when that is needed so that we can then return to this work with renewed energy to continue to be a people witnessing to God's peace. And as I seek to stay engaged and to not become numb, I notice something new in the words, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. There is creativity in Isaiah's words. It really is a unique idea to take a sword and say, let's make this into a garden tool. These verses have become so normal that I almost missed it. This creative repurposing, a creative response to violence. So while I don't know what it means all the time to be a people who witness to God's peace in the world in an ongoing and sustainable way, I do think one way is through creative peacemaking, interrupting violence through new ways of thinking. Groups like Raw Tools that Megan talked about during the children's story are an an example of this as they melt down guns into garden tools with those directly impacted by gun violence getting to hammer the metal. Part of our country's problem with guns is we keep making more and they keep piling up and getting passed down in families. And Raw Tools is taking these guns, melting them down, repurposing them. That is a creative solution. Hearing the stories of how others have responded creatively can sink into our beings and spark new ideas. I wonder what other creative responses may come from this community and the numerous stories of creative responses that have already taken place and continue to take place in our midst. Creative solutions are part of staying engaged in an era of perpetual war. And it invites us to be people of hope, living into our belovedness as children of God and offering creative repurposing. With these radical and creative verses juxtaposed with the story of Assyria conquering Judah, I'm reminded of my need to have a community to do this work with in the confessing, grieving, and lamenting of our own complicity in systems of violence, and in our dreaming of new ways of being, of the possible creative, just peace work that can unfold as we imagine together. I come to church because I need to have others to wrestle with these hard questions, to sit with when we hear about another shooting, or when we hear Trump has sent military to the border to stop migrants from entering. It's why I come to church to learn with you all, to share our ideas, our struggles, to share stories of ways of creative peacemaking, to sit in silence when silence is needed, or cry out in prayer and song when that is needed, to make signs together when marching in the streets is needed, to write petitions and letters, to ask the hard questions as we look at our own complicity and violence. We need the storytellers in our midst to share examples of creative repurposing, ways others have interrupted the cycle of violence. We can't hold it all alone. I believe we need one another if we are to live out this radical call that we hear in the words of Isaiah, of God's intention for tools of death to be transformed into tools of life. These verses remind us that at the core is a God of love, a God who is with us and has a vision of transformation, of new life. While the task of protesting nuclear war Working for justice and peace in our country and around the world feels daunting. May we not grow numb. May we come together in this radical work of interrupting cycles of violence. And may we care for one another in this work. And may we hold these aspirational words as our foundation in this work and life together. We will beat our nuclear bombs into plowshares and our guns into garden tools. Nation will not raise drones against nation, and never again will we train for war. May it be so.